Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Inventus Partners, the top full-service turnkey product development and crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. We have helped startups raise over $100 million for our clients since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by Backerkit and The Gadget Flow. Backerkit makes software that crowdfunding project creators use to survey backers, organize data, and manage orders for fulfillment by automating your operations and helping you print and ship faster. The Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart, or today, should I say, Art of the Go-Go. Today, I am joined with John Vasquez, VP of Hardware at Indiegogo. John, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to speak to you, Roy, as always. So, John, we we go back a a ways, but uh, for the case of our audience, please give a brief description of Indiegogo. What is it? Sure. So Indiegogo is one of the world's biggest crowdfunding platforms, or in fact, the first crowdfunding platform. When we were created, we were created with the ethos of democratizing capital. So we're an open platform that allows anyone to come to the platform to try to find their audience and to help amplify their message. So we're a crowdfunding platform for just about anything you can imagine, my friend. Indeed you are. So what, what types of products that you see ray, typically raise the most money on Indiegogo? Is there a certain category or type of product that you guys see do better? As of late, it's really been the hardware sector. So the technology or physical products being sold on the platform. Uh, a lot of our tools are made for entrepreneurs to really find their audience and then to amplify those efforts. Campaigns that perform the best are teams that have done a lot of their homework, uh, come to the campaign with a lot of that knowledge and work very closely with our team that do well. We do have a kind of a running joke in Indiegogo that a lot of our newsletters and a lot of our campaigns that are there are the world's first, the world's uh, smallest, so kind of like a mini Guinness Book of World Records if you do, if you, uh, and products that really are going to pop when a uh, someone that isn't familiar with the product sees it for the first time and sees some good use cases for it. Definitely. You guys are definitely launching the world's first of pretty much everything that's out there. I don't know about smallest, fastest, or you know, coolest looking tech products, but uh, certainly you get to see your fair share of everything on the hardware side. It's, yeah, it's amazing every day seeing the product that come into the office and helping these entrepreneurs find their audience. Uh, seeing a lot of stuff at a very early stage and helping to find what they're doing. It's a very rewarding position. And uh, yeah, seeing a lot of these innovations, you know, it's a crazy space right now super early on uh, is very rewarding and helping them come to market is one of our biggest pushes. Absolutely. So I know one of the unique factors of Indiegogo is that it offers both a fixed funding and a flexible funding option. Can you tell our audience a little bit about what those are and when one might be better for the other? Sure. So we have two different types of funding. As you just said, we have flexible funding, which means you get the funds if you hit your goal or you don't. Um, so fixed funding, which is basically the all or nothing approach. Uh, flexible funding is really good for a lot of the verticals, a lot of the creative verticals, so gaming, music, 
uh, film uh, and a lot of our nonprofit uh, types of campaigns where any funds that come in allow them to get closer to doing their social good or allow them to get closer to finishing their creative product. Fixed funding is what most of our hardware, technology, and design campaigns use, which has a goal that they have to hit. Otherwise, they don't get any of those funds. Some of our hardware campaigns that use flexible funding are doing that because it's, they're using their campaign mostly as a marketing play, and any funds that come in are just going to go towards a product that is very close to being done. But the lion's share of uh, hardware or product campaign are using, using fixed funding because obviously they need to accumulate those funds to actually go through with the manufacturing and fulfillment process. Nice. So I know one of the big things that we always have when clients come to us is, you know, the strategy behind setting a, a public facing funding goal and then maybe what, what they have for an internal one. What should a campaign creator consider when setting their funding goal? Uh, sure. It's a good question. Each campaigner handles their external funding goal in a different manner. Um, we recommend that they have two goals. So they have their external facing goal and their internal goal, what they actually want to hit. The external facing goal really depends on where they are in the product's life cycle. Uh, if they are further along, and this is for final tooling, or as I touched on before, more of just a marketing play uh, where the product is going to be shipped either way, having a, a smaller external goals and that they could hit, feel very confident about, uh, is a solid direction to go down because that's how they get different kinds of backers and that feel more sure that the product's going to come to fruition uh, if it's already hit this goal and it looks uh, very positive externally. If it is uh, a product that's much earlier in the, in the uh, production phase or something that might be in concept or in prototype phase, having uh, a goal that is based upon what their bombs costs are going to be, what their manufacturing costs are going to be, and figuring all of that out and putting that into their actual goal and seeing, like, hey, if we got to this amount, we'll actually be able to make this product. Uh, directions that we typically gear them towards. At the end of the day, campaigner can pick whichever goal they want. But uh, we usually base it upon what stage they're actually in and what they should set it at and what we feel confident with them doing. Uh, also, what type of community they're coming into a campaign with. Uh, one of the rules that we have that is pretty much commonplace throughout crowdfunding is that the campaigner should come into a camp come into the campaign with roughly thirty percent of their funding uh, goal already accounted for. When strangers come to the campaign, they're already seeing that momentum and uh, getting someone that isn't as familiar with the team, as familiar with the product, to contribute uh, goes up substantially by seeing that you know green bar effect uh, and seeing uh, other people already contributing makes them feel much more comfortable putting in their credit card information and enter and contributing to that campaign as well. Nice. I'm glad you mentioned that. So let's, let's talk a little bit about those pre-campaign marketing strategies. What are you guys seeing that's working for a lot of the hardware products that's out there? How far in advance should they start thinking about building up that community? Any tips for the creators out there? Sure. So most camp, it depends obviously where the product is and how much in stealth mode they are. But once they're willing to start marketing their campaign, uh, the, the lion's share of our campaigners begin to do some kind of a digital marketing spend to find their audience of people that are interested in that product. Obviously, there's Facebook and Google. Most people are doing their ad spend through Facebook and they're seeing the best ROI on that there. With the key ask being, hey, sign up for our email list. And once this campaign goes live, you will be incentivized by getting a 30% or whatever discount on the product, and then getting access to early bird pricing. 
So a lot of our campaigners are beginning their campaigns. Obviously, if you are attending any trade shows or going to any events, having a call to action where you're getting that potential consumer's email information or contact information is key because that'll be part of your uh, initial group of people that potentially contribute. We're also going into forums or aggregation sites where people that would potentially be looking for your type of product or for your campaign and promoting it there, leading them to a page where you're still capturing it, uh, is a very big push that we've been seeing a lot of new. It's a very big component of like, instead of like hoping that everything just magically hits when the campaign goes live, by doing all this pre-launch work, you're basically guaranteeing that the campaign will be successful or get up to a very strong start and has a very, very good chance of finding uh, an audience on our platform. Awesome. So let's let's talk about the product page now when the campaign's about to launch. What's some of the most pertinent information that needs to be included on that product page? The most pertinent information? Uh, obviously, as much information as you can share about what the product is. The video is usually the most crucial component. It really tells the story of why you were creating this product, what uh, is happening behind the scenes, why there's a call to action for someone to contribute to the campaign um, in the actual details of it. Obviously, you know, detailing what happened behind the scenes, how you actually are creating this product. All of that is essential. You basically want to, you know, make this as easy a transaction as possible for a campaigner to have, taking feedback as the campaign is live, adding an uh, FAQ and updating the page to fit the needs of the audience that is actually coming to the page. Just basically, just, you know, sharing specs. All of that information is essential to making sure that when someone comes to that page, there's as little friction as possible and they're willing to go in there and just contribute to the perk uh, and help your campaign become a success. So you highlighted the importance of obviously the campaign video. What are, what are some of the tips that you've seen from all the videos you've seen over the years? Keep it short and sweet. If you're not someone that is normally a funny person, don't go down the humor route. It's a very tricky area to go down and, and uh, humor is not universal, sadly. You know, keeping the campaign usually in the two to three minute range is good. Uh, using any extra footage in the actual campaign page uh, is a solid way to use B-roll. Going through that campaign video a couple of times, potentially using an agency or a videographer to help create that, come up with a compelling story is big. Uh, ending the campaign video with a call to action of contribute to the page uh, and come to and share it as well. So you're going beyond just that audience. Uh, all things like that are very essential to the campaign doing well. And obviously, let the, the product be the star. That's what you're really selling there. You should really say why this is a product that is changing a potential backer's life in X, Y, and Z ways in a very easy and compelling way. Uh, those are things you really should be highlighting uh, in a very polished video. Absolutely. So talk to me about gifts on a campaign page, John. We're seeing a lot of success with gifts, you know, to show off a product. But what are your thoughts and any plans for Indiegogo to make them easier to add to a campaign page? Well, you're a gift guy, not a GIF guy. That's interesting. I learned a little bit about you, Roy. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, GIFs are obviously a big, a big part of the page. It makes it very easy for someone to actually see how products open or how products operate. It's something that is obviously universal through almost all websites that are out there. A lot of our biggest campaigns use that uh, as a key selling point uh, to help just get that message across in a very short and condensed way. On Indiegogo, we do allow for GIFs to be populated on the page. They're actually hosted on a different page and then appear there. That helps with overall just 
how quick the site loads uh, for complete transparency reasons. We have no problem with it. You know, if anyone is looking to put GIFs on their page, we're happy to help them through that process. We think it's rather simple, and we haven't seen a lot of pain points. But um, that's one thing that we have seen rise up quite a bit more with more campaigns using that, that type of media to, uh, to promote their campaign. So we're talking about, you know, visualization of, of products that are coming on Indiegogo. What, you know, value do you guys place in terms of product photography on the campaign outside of GIFs, GIFs, if you want to call them that, and campaign videos? Yeah, uh, images are key. You know, we're a very visual society nowadays. So having some very polished pictures of your product and of your team and of your manufacturing process is key to making sure that someone... Uh, feels very validated use, uh, when they're contributing to their campaign and they know in a very transparent way of what their final product is going to look like or what the current prototype looks like. So investing some time on creating very nice assets, uh, specifically pictures, is something that we definitely gear our, t- our campaigners towards. Finding a uh, photographer or borrowing a friend's very nice camera to have a solid pictures on that page is something that we highly recommend that campaigners do so that your gear again like your end consumer feels very confident this is the product they're going to be able to get so those images are very essential to a campaign performing well absolutely so let's jump into the rewards now how many rewards do usually do you tell your creators to launch a campaign with on the whole we usually say anywhere between three to eight there's usually a good amount of rewards that are in there on indiegogo we do allow for you to uh, high rewards as the campaign goes on and add new rewards as the campaign uh, continues. Uh, we also have functionality where you can actually have an unlimited amount of rewards, uh, but that might actually cause uh, choice paralysis. We don't have too many choices for a consumer, so anywhere between three to eight rewards is really good. Uh, one of the awesome features about Indiegogo is we actually allow for secret rewards. So if a campaigner has a very special perk that they're looking to sell to an audience, uh, especially, especially for maybe that pre-campaign community. If they send out a link, it'll showcase this special perk that'll only be seen by those people that get to that link. We've seen that bring in quite a bit of sales that come in there, and that's a way to kind of get around that three to eight. But on the whole, we, t- we typically recommend they keep the, the choices of, a, of the amount of perks on a campaign page below 10 at the very least. So one of the questions we always get asked on the show is, do backers prefer seeing a percentage off or dollars saved in the reward copy? What are your thoughts on that, John? It varies based upon how much the, the product costs. Uh, if it's a higher cost structure, typically the dollars off would be big. Of Like, hey, you're getting $200 off this product. That is something that is big and flashy. If the percentage seems to be bigger than the overall uh, dollar amount, you could go down that route. We do allow for the option for either uh, of those to be populated uh, on the page uh, so the campaigner can pick. But yeah, that's really something you could see. You can kind of do some A-B testing as the campaign's live as well. Uh, this will resonate best with uh, your audience. So one of the other cool things that Indiegogo offers is putting a product picture inside of the perk box. What are some of the uh, best or most creative rewards that you've seen around that, John? Yeah, that's, that's obviously a nice one. So you can very easily showcase what the end consumer is going to be purchasing in just a simple uh, picture. Most campaigners are obviously just picturing uh, either an image of you know, the product or potentially an image of the campaign. We do have one 
that is going on now that is a little bit more in the political sphere. It's called Tech for Campaigns that is live. And in that one, they're highlighting all of the political figures that you potentially would be able to have a Skype call with and being able to showcase their celebrity value when someone's actually picking a campaign. And that's been an interesting one to watch perform well. It's also based upon the uh, visibility of those celebrities that are uh, highlighted in that campaign. So another cool feature that you guys have is a built-in referral system. What percentage of campaigns are you seeing use it and have any used it to, to great success? Yes, that is, that is a great feature. So that's where when someone backs a campaign, they can essentially run a referral contest uh, to incentivize their current backer community or uh, camp- uh, people that are just simply following the campaign. So I haven't even contributed to the campaign can engage where your call to action is, hey, if you have any friends that are interested in potentially pur- purchasing one, uh, you could be incentivized in some way. Some of our campaigners have done that to do money back off of their current purchase. So 5 to $10, something like that. Or a person that brings in the most uh, contributions through their network, they could get a free unit, which is really exciting. Uh, one that did extremely well that I worked on a while ago uh, was a campaign called Skullgirls that was had a very high $1.9 million fixed funding goal that hit it and went up to $2.2 million. And their uh, community was very super uh, rabid, uh, and they incentivized it by building out a whole bunch of different uh, referral structures where they're giving out uh, game pads and fighting sticks and all of that, where there was this whole thing on the back end that they created based upon our uh, the CSV that we shared with them that was so crazy detailed that we now use that as one of our big use cases. But they were just gamifying it, and their fans then went to all these different gaming forums and Reddit and all of those to really amplify it. And that's where it got to a whole other crazy level where referral numbers were off the charts. But that's the kind of engagement you're looking to get out of running one of these uh, contests and getting creative, but potentially surveying your audience before you even uh, unveil the referral contest to see what would resonate best with them. And that's what a lot of our, uh, our campaigners have done that have seen the best result. I know you talk about, you know, split testing and communicating with your community before launch, you know, and usually that's done through email marketing. How can crowdfunding campaigns use email marketing to make their project more successful? Yeah, so so obviously the biggest thing that you want to be doing leading up to a campaign is engaging with your audience. Uh, and that is email is still king, even though it's 2017. As we'll talk about social media and all the other channels, email is still the biggest one. So continually reaching out to that audience as you're leading up to your launch is the best way to see if this campaign is going to perform well or not. So doing simple, uh, you know, simple testing of seeing what open rates are, engagement levels are, click-throughs, uh, all that is essential to making sure that this is going to get off to a strong start. If you are not seeing positive numbers, you should potentially take a step back and talk to your community that is there and see what res- what's resonating or why they're not uh, going forward with it. If they are engaging. It's a good time to incentivize them in other ways, as I said before, with uh, you know secret perks on, hey, thank you for being such a great community. You'll be rewarded by saving a couple of dollars at the end of the day. Uh, and that's not just a end consumer. That's someone that will now believe in your brand. They'll be much more interested in sharing your campaign on social media and all those other different networks to extend your reach beyond just the community you were able to cultivate prior to launch. Sending out simple surveys as well before you go live about pricing, about uh, finding information about who has signed up. And, and that helps you better navigate as you move forward and you continue to do your spend there to just really figure out where your audience is and at the end of the day, figure out what the best ROI you could possibly get on one of these campaigns. Like, hey, we are seeing a lot of people that signed up are 
25 to 45 year old now women, we should probably do more of our Facebook digital marketing towards that audience because that's where you can get the best results from and potentially change the way that your campaign page looks to go more after the audience that you know is already there. Absolutely. So in terms of reaching out to an audience that may not be aware of the campaign, how important do you think it is for crowdfunding creators to get press coverage for their hardware product when they launch it? Is it something that they have to have a prototype already made and they should be sending it out? Or is it you know more difficult for them to get coverage when they maybe don't even have a prototype built out yet? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, good question. Uh, yeah, on, on the PR front, PR definitely helps you know, extend the reach of your campaign beyond the community that you've created. A lot of these media sites obviously have a very significant audience that is there. Uh, having a prototype, as you said, is rather essential to getting a media company to write about your product. There's been a lot of different products in general that have been pitched to media organizations, and they're a little bit more hesitant to write about one that doesn't have a prototype, uh, which is totally fair, and you should have one as you're running a campaign anyway. Uh, being able to send a looks-like-works-life prototype to a media uh, outlet is a way for them to write about it. One thing you want to think about when you're doing media is you would like for them to have any articles that they run get to be embargoed so that when you are driving traffic to that campaign, there's already momentum. People have already contributed to it. Instead of sending a whole bunch of people to a campaign page that has zero dollars in it, and it's going to have almost more of an adverse reaction of this product looks really cool, but no one else has done it. I'm going to step away from this page and chances of them coming back uh, does drop significantly. So having a 15, 30-minute barrier for people that are on your email list to contribute and then having any PR that goes wide uh, embargoed to hit after that is a really strong strategy. Uh, and that's what most of our bigger campaigns do uh, is that they have uh, some kind of PR connections that are able to write an article within the first day or two of the campaign, and that helps uh, amplify their overall efforts. Sound advice there, man. So, John, we have clients all the time ask us how they can be featured in the Indiegogo newsletter. What, uh, what's, what's your line of advice for those folks? Sure. Obviously, that's a, that's a big push for us. Uh, when a campaign gets in the newsletter, it does see a significant jump there. Uh, obviously, creating a very polished campaign is a great way to start. Um, having that momentum, as you touched on before, of... You know, finding some of that audience, finding some of that community, having them contribute to your campaign is a really good starting point. The platform is based upon an algorithm that measures uh, activity going on around your campaign. So that is uh, you know, funds that are in the campaign, people visiting the campaign, people sharing the campaign, updates that the campaigner sends out. All of that goes in there, and the more activity you're given, the more visibility you'll be given on the platform, whether that is in a newsletter or front page. Uh, and all the different areas where we uh, promote campaigns. Uh, so just making sure you have that momentum, making sure that you're having uh, content that people are engaging with, and really thinking about this more, instead of just on the fun side, okay, I can try to raise as much money as possible as an engagement center of getting people to really be interested in the product you're putting together, having them promote it. Uh, that's how you're going to get the best returns and reach the widest audience possible. That'll get you into the newsletter and to uh, into the front page rather quickly. So you touched on some of these factors, and we I, I don't know if it's industry terms, but the, the go-go factor that you guys have over there in terms of your, your ranking system. So what, what would you say are the top five factors that people look at or that you guys look at to, to get that ranking up there for clients? 
Yeah, so, so the GoGo factor is, as I said before, just an algorithm. Uh, so that is measuring audience engagement uh, that's in there. So that could be uh, you know, contributions that come in. That could be Facebook shares, tweets uh, using the share tools on the campaign page, uh, updates that um, you know the campaigner is sending out. Uh, all things like that are being seen by the algorithm and we'll be selecting it. Obviously, we do have a a marketing team here as well that is looking at the assets and making sure that the campaign is rather polished, that the product looks good as well. Uh, so making sure that everything on the page looks well, that your audience is engaging well, and that's when chances are you will be uh, promoted in those such ways. So what have you noticed over the years of working with Indiegogo that all of the top million-dollar-plus Indiegogo campaigns have in common, especially the, the tech and hardware ones? A strong founding team, most of them have. Most of them have a marketing plan put around it, uh, usually centered around digital marketing uh, that is in the campaign. They have a product that is going to resonate with an audience, so they found something that there's a real need for. People that are investing in the campaign as it goes live, whether that is through PR, digital marketing, uh, etc., those are ways to kind of extend your reach beyond just uh, the crowdfunding component of the initial launch. Uh, all things like that are things that you would see in a top uh, performing campaign that is rather universal. And people that are really pushing the platform to its limits of like, hey, what can we actually do there? Using our referral tools, using our pixel tracking, uh, all things like that to really engage and making sure that the campaign's performing is at its best rate. Those are things that we've seen uh, with all of our uh, you know, big six-figure million-dollar campaigns. So if you were to give one piece of advice for someone of thinking of launching a crowdfunding project on Indiegogo, what would you say to them? One piece of advice would be to, first of all, reach out. That's a good way to start. Is that I have a, there's a rather big team here at Indiegogo that is happy to work with any entrepreneur, any campaign, any project creator on working on your go-to-market strategy. That's one of the biggest things. We're not just a platform, but there are people here, as you can tell. Uh, that's one big push. The other one would be, you know, marketing and testing before you go live. That's the best chance for you to figure out if there's any issues that are going on to actually see who pushes campaigns resonating with and do all that testing. Once a campaign is live, a lot of that, a lot of the messaging and a lot of the page is already locked in. Before it goes live, you're able to do some testing with uh, your audience. You're able to share the preview page and see what people think. Uh, our team's happy to review it and give you feedback on uh, all different components to that. Uh, working with agencies, obviously, that helps out as well. Doing all of that work before you go live is actually the most essential to a campaign. And figuring everything out before you hit that launch button is super key. Instead of leaving all that for chance and then, hey, I'm going to hit this launch button and magically people are going to find the campaign. That does happen, but why would you leave all of that for chance? Like You've made an awesome project. You've made an awesome campaign. Figure out all of the potential issues before you go live. And we're happy to work with you on that. So that when you actually do launch, you're basically guaranteed success. And at that point, it's much less stressful than not having that figured out. Agreed. You guys are partying over there. All right, John, this gets us into our launch round. I'm going to rapid fire a handful of questions at you. You good to go? Fire away, man. Let's uh, do this. So what inspired you to work with entrepreneurs? I've actually never created a, a product in my entire life. Uh, the only thing I've ever created is a beautiful 16-month-old uh, baby girl. So every time I'm in a meeting with an entrepreneur, it blows my mind that they're able to create something. And every day here is very rewarding. So uh, myself and my team works very deeply with them to help their uh, babies come to market. Beautiful. 
So if you could have a glass of beer with any entrepreneur throughout history, who would it be? Uh, not you, Roy. Uh, <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Uh, Albert Einstein, I think, is probably one of my favorites, even though he's not completely an entrepreneur. Uh, he's someone I would just like to enjoy a beer with and, and pick his brain on things. What would have been your first question for him? What my first question for him? Um, I don't know, actually. That's, that's a good one. We'll come back to it. All right. What's your favorite Indiegogo project of all time? Favorite one of all time? Uh, Pilot was a campaign that I worked on that was a lot of fun to see. It's a... Uh, a translation device uh, that's a hearable that I met Andrew and the team two years before they went live and he told me about this crazy idea of hey you put this project in your ear and it'll translate for somebody else as they hear it and then after two years you came in with a prototype that blew my mind actually seeing it function and then that campaign went live and they raised a million dollars in an hour I believe and wound up capping at around 4.5 million or something so that one was very crazy to uh, to be a part of. Indeed, I bet it was. Any book you would recommend to our audience? I'm a big fan uh, of Console Wars. This is a book that I read. It's about the battle between Nintendo and Sega in the 90s. Uh, it's a really interesting business book about how brands kind of competed with each other. Uh, I think it's a very good read, especially if you're a gamer. Awesome. Last question, John. What does the future of crowdfunding look like? Uh... Yeah, it's been, I've been in Indiegogo for five years, so it's been a really interesting ride. Um, with us, I think that crowdfunding is now much more of a regular go-to-market strategy, but crowdfunding on Indiegogo, and I think at whole, is just expanding out the entire market and, you know, with the advent of equity crowdfunding on our platform and in-demand and pre-launch pages and all of that, basically crowdfunding is going to help entrepreneurs and campaign creators from project idea all the way out to big box retail or marketplace uh, helping fill all those different needs that are in there so any entrepreneur uh, whether they're launching a broad crowdfunding campaign or an equity crowdfunding campaign can come to a platform and help raise funds to make that idea uh, or that company come to fruition absolutely john you guys have been at the forefront of innovation on crowdfunding it's been great working with you for all these years and uh, i'm excited to see how indiegogo continues to push the needle and and move the crowd. So this is your opportunity to give our audience your pitch. Tell them what you're all about and why they should go launch a project on Indiegogo. Thanks, Roy. Yeah, uh, yeah. at Indiegogo, we are a platform that helps uh, launch other startups and other companies. We're super interested in you know, figuring out your market strategy and working with you for the long haul, as I touched on before. Uh, we envision this much more as a you know, long-term partnership than just a one-off product launch. My team is very interested in seeing what you guys do and working on you with all the different, you know, issues and the triumphs that uh, companies have. Uh, I'm happy for anyone to reach out to me and I'm happy to introduce you to a member of my team. I have an Indiegogo long enough that my email is simply john at indiegogo.com. I'm happy to get inundated with emails and I'm happy to work with any entrepreneurs or anyone listening to this podcast or is working with Roy and this uh, awesome team over there uh, on their future launches. Well, I appreciate it, John. Audience, thank you again for tuning in. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for all the show notes, the full transcript, links to everything Indiegogo. And of course, thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors, The Gadget Flow and Backer Kit. John, it has been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Roy. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. 
If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it. And of course, if you love this episode a lot, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show and helps us get better guests to help you build a better business. If you need more hands-on crowdfunding strategy advice, please feel free to request a quote on inventuspartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week. 